Hi, I'm Mike Pickles, and you're listening to the Daily Deal Podcast. We hear about inspirational stories from folks like you and I. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Mike Pickles Podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Pickles. And if you have not yet subscribed, please do so. All right, today we have two very special guests, not one, but two. I have Ostrid Kendricks, professor and researcher at the University of Calgary, as well as Lisa Everett with the Alberta Teachers Association. Welcome, ladies. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having us today. Absolutely. And good morning to both of you. Good morning. So, so I assume Thank one you. of you is in Edmonton, one's in Calgary, and I'm in Yellowknife. Is that correct? That is true. Yes. This is Ostrid. I'm in Calgary. That is correct. And I'm Lisa and I'm in Edmonton and it's actually warmed up to a balmy minus 17. I was just going to ask you before we start today's show here last night anyway, warmed up today. But last night with the wind chill, it was minus 50. Oh, five zero. So is your weather relatively OK or is it getting colder? Or? We've had a cold snap, and I think we're starting to come out of it. But when you get into minus 50 wind chill, that's a whole other level of cold. Yeah, the same is true here in Calgary. We got down to about minus 25, minus 30 last night. And then today is supposed to be a high of 7 or minus 7. So we're on our way back up again for sure. Good, good. All right, let's jump into today's show because I really, really, really want to hear what you ladies have to say. Um, so can we just talk about, first of all, what the two of you do and what are you looking into as far as research? Do you want to start, Austria, or shall I start? You go ahead. So uh, thanks, Mike, for, for that opportunity to explain. I work with the Alberta Teachers Association, and I, uh, I work as a staff officer who focuses on education research. So what we often do is we partner with our, our universities to, to take on research projects. And in this context, uh, we also included the Alberta School Employee Benefit Plan in our as a partner to the research. They helped to fund this study um, that Dr. Kendrick took on uh, on our behalf. And so in the context of this particular study, we uh, had both noticed as organizations that there was an increasing level of stress in uh, in the field, and uh, and our educators were uh, manifesting some very unhealthy um, unhealthy signs in terms of what the impact of the workplace was on their mental emotional health. And we have not got a good body of literature around uh, compassion fatigue in education, and so we uh, began a conversation as stakeholders to uh, start an investigation about how the workplace uh, of schools and the work of educators impacts mental emotional health. And so at that point, we reached out to the University of Calgary and found Austri, uh, and she is the principal researcher on a two-year uh, study that has now grown into a SHIRT grant for uh, the University of Calgary. And so we are continuing our investigations about compassion fatigue, about burnout, 
about the impact of emotional labor on educators. And uh, we're very excited about this work because we didn't just look at what the problem was. We we're also seeking to find how solutions might be brought forward uh, to help manage this occupational hazard. Thank you, Lisa. Austri, what do you have to add to that? Sure. And so um, it was probably early 2020 when Dr. Everett and Dr. Gavalian Smith came to me and said, you know, we there's something going on. We'd like to learn more. Here's two occupational hazards that we're concerned about, compassion fatigue and burnout. Um, can you design a study and figure out what's going on? And I said, of course, I'll do my best. And so uh, we constructed a survey. So our survey we first released in June of 2020, and then again in January of 2021, and actually are looking at rerunning that same survey this upcoming winter. So hopefully near the end of January 2023. And um, basically what, with that survey, what we were trying to find out is, you know, what is the extent of burnout and compassion fatigue in the Alberta labor force, uh, educational labor force. And then, you know, once we figured out the extent, you know, we did a number of interviews, 53, to find out what it felt like and what it looked like for educational workers. And then as a result of all that data came up with something we've called heart care planning, because one of the key outcomes from the study was A, we found that emotional and mental health distress was very dominant across the field, unrelated to the pandemic. In fact, it was more to do with the emotional labor provided within the field as opposed to external factors. And then um, from that, we wanted to figure out, you know, what's the best that we can do in order to try and help people feel better. And so what came out of it was really the knowledge that, you know, these things can be prevented. And so um, heart care planning is a, a bit about preventing compassion and fatigue and burnout in the field. And then if somebody has provided uh, what's known as crisis or trauma work, that they've looked ahead in terms of, you know, what can I do to feel better? You know, who can I talk to? What are some of the different treatments that I can access? And uh, who provides these? How can I do it through my association? How can I do it through my benefits plan? And um, kind of putting that plan into place so that they can feel emotionally healthy again. Good. I'm very interested in what you said there, and I'm glad you mentioned it. I think I heard you say, but correct me if I'm wrong, unrelated to COVID, it's due to internal factors, which I'm glad you pointed out. So some key words here. It's, by the way, the two of you already mentioned within the first five minutes a lot to unpack. So let me see if I get it straight. So there's increasing levels of stress in teacher, the teaching profession, which is no surprise because I'm a teacher myself, educator. Uh, we've noticed some compassion fatigue. We've noticed mental, emotional health. Uh, burnout, of course, goes along with that. And we're basically trying to find solutions to this occupational hazard. Um, has there been any sort of success in finding solutions to these? So we know they exist. So are we finding any, any success finding solutions? Or are we still looking? Go ahead, Lisa. So this is a part of what the uh, the SHRC grant is about. And SHRC is Social Sciences Human uh, Resources Council of Canada. Is that correct, Austri? I always forget the acronym. Yep. The <laughs> Social Sciences and Humanities Council of Canada. They're basically an arm of the federal government that helps to fund research projects. 
Yes. And so we in this shirt grant, uh, we have been looking to partner with school districts to examine the impact of heart care planning and what it suggests. And heart care planning, uh, just for the information of your listeners, is comprehensive and it includes uh, strategies for the individual, but it also recognizes that wellness at work has uh, roots in the school setting, but also in the system setting. And so it's, it's a complex uh, proposal in terms of how you ameliorate some of the things that are being experienced systematically and within the school, because that's a larger problem uh, in terms of agency and who can do what. But it is something that we are examining with uh, our three pilot uh, school jurisdictions here in Alberta, and that will grow into uh, the Northwest Territories in the third year of the study. So we're quite excited about this. Um, the one thing that I think is really remarkable in terms of this study is that we caught the COVID-19 pandemic by accident, and that's worth mentioning. Um, the issues that we were seeing in terms of mental emotional health in the educator workforce were not um, specific to COVID, but it, certainly COVID has added an additional layer of uh, stress for everybody working in schools and in school jurisdictions. Yeah, I believe the last time we spoke to three of us, I, I heard you mention there, Lisa, specifically about the school setting and the systematic setting. And the last time we spoke, I think the three of us all agreed that um, we we feel and we see that everybody's doing their best within the school system as well as the systematic system, right? Everybody, the associations, the unions, everybody's doing their best to sort of make this work um, to sort of alleviate some of this emotional uh, mental, emotional health that you mentioned, uh, compassion, fatigue, burnout, what what have you. But we just don't seem to be there yet. So can we talk a little bit more about your research, your data, your surveys? Like, what are you guys seeing specifically that maybe we're not seeing? Like, what are we missing? Well, you know, I think when we're talking about this problem, it's something that's been growing over time. So I remember back when I was full-time teacher, which actually only ended in 2019, so it's not that long <laughs> ago, but in the early 2010s, I went to uh, actually a, a different presentation put on the ATA by someone called Linda Duxbury when she was kind of looking into the field. And she used a great analogy, which I think we're actually kind of starting to see the outcome of. So she talked about the boiled frog syndrome, which you may have also heard of from Al Gore when he did An Inconvenient Truth. You know, the, the idea that you put a frog in cold water and slowly turn up the temperature, eventually they'll, they'll boil, right? Because they just don't notice. And, but if you take that same frog and put it into the boiling water, they'll hop right out. And so I think what we're seeing is kind of that slow boiling of the educational workforce over the past decade or so, as resources to schools have slowly diminished, as we've seen kind of this culture of austerity in terms of you know, fewer and fewer supports in the schools, um, teachers and whoever's in the school having to take on more work because what we haven't seen is less children and youth in schools. So there's just as many students as ever, but there's fewer adults supporting them and fewer, um, resources for them to access. And so um, I think what we're seeing is kind of people have started to become boiled, right? They've really hit the, the maximum of what they can handle. And what the, the pandemic really did was really kind of put the temperature so high that you really start to see these outcomes where 
people just, they need to go, they need time off, they need to step away. And so when we talk about a systemic problem, that's what we're really talking about is that low, long erosion of those supports and resources that are necessary to help support people so that they can be the best they want to be for children and youth. So um, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to like turn down the temperature a little bit. We're not going to be able to stop that boiling because that takes sustained effort over probably another decade. But, you know, what we're hoping to do through heart care is start to help people slow down and think, whoa, like, what can I do? What am I capable of doing? You know, as a workplace with schools, you know, maybe it's time to say, you know, let's start taking some work off people's plates. You know, do we need to report as much data as we have been? Do we need to have as many assessments? Can we take something off people's plates so that they can start filling that time, not with more work, but with more uh, self-care and more attention to rebuilding themselves and, and, you know, just bringing that temperature down. I think the other thing that's useful here, and this came through very clearly in our, our data set, was that uh, teachers, school leaders, education workers have a very strong sense and an ideal vision of what they ought to be at work. And so when you add extra work on top of that already uh, fixed mind frame, uh, which I think is quite well ingrained in the DNA of our, our existence within education, um, we begin to see uh, an overload. And because we expect to step up and do everything for everyone, uh, it comes with a cost. And of course, that is at the heart of some of the breakdown that we see within schools in terms of mental emotional health for our teachers, our school leaders, and other education workers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you're mentioning that the analogy I've heard several times, not just with teaching, but nursing, doctors, you know, medical system, about the boiled frog syndrome. It's so true that, you know, slowly for anybody, you're just like, well, why don't you remove yourself? And you're like, well, I didn't realize it was this bad until I realized it was this bad, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later. But that that's exactly what you mentioned. And that's so true. Not just in our, not just in Yellowknife, not just in Canada, but globally right now. Um, I'll go in any, any, any sort of restaurant or store right now, whether it's Tim Hortons, McDonald's, and they're short of staff. They can't, they're closing early. There's less hours now because they can't find staff because people have just realized that I'm burnt out. I can't do it anymore. So hopefully that doesn't happen to the field of education. I see it a little bit that uh, teachers now are deciding to take care of their, their own mental well-being. They're staying home, which is good. On the flip side of that, it, it's not good for that consistency. I mean, I applaud them for doing it, for taking care of themselves. But on the other side, our children that are in the classroom... We don't have subs right now or lack of quality subs, you know, just a warm body in the classroom. So that consistency, that that real uh, education for our children now is lacking. So it's hard to fix. Like it's hard yeah. to solve. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think kind of on a positive note, uh, part of my role is teaching pre-service teachers. So mm -hmm. the newcomers to education, newcomers to the education field. And I actually just did a presentation this past week to you know, 200 of them. And they are still just as committed to working with children and youth. They are just as excited to share what they've learned in their lives. And they really can't wait until they can have this impact. And so, you know, what I really think is, you know, as a pre-service teacher educator, 
I have this responsibility to help them contain and hang on to that excitement so that they're able to come out into the field and, you know, be that next generation of strong support that everyone needs. And so, you know, I really believe in the future of education, but what we really need to do is help to kind of make that transition easier and ensure that, you know, our first year teachers are early beginning years. They don't kind of see the boiling water and go, whoa, I, there's somewhere else I can be right now. You know, there, there are, as you said, many other fields that are looking for um, passionate, interesting young workers. So instead of going into this field where all I see are boiled frogs, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. And so, you know, I think kind of as a, as an entire profession, the more that our uh, oil or later career teachers are able to mentor our new teachers, not into a culture of burnout and compassion fatigue, but into, you know, yes, the job we do is important. You will have this positive impact on children and youth. And here are some ways that you can do it and able to share their expertise in a way that kind of sustains the profession, which, you know, has really happened up until this point. And, you know, one of the really promising signs we see at the faculty of education is, you know, more and more teachers are happily taking on mentorship of new teachers. And so we just have to make sure that that mentorship is, yes, take care of yourself. Yes, take, you know, a half an hour of your day to um, slow down, eat your lunch, go for a walk, all those kind of things, or, you know, here are some really good resources so that you're not up planning till midnight every night. And so in that mentorship, you know, let's, let's mentor people into a healthy and, and well profession, as opposed to bringing them into a toxic one and saying, you know, don't take care of yourself. Don't do the things that you need to do to feel better, because then all we're going to do is kind of perpetuate that problem. And I think for veteran teachers, uh, this hasn't been an explicit message. Uh, the, the, uh, the, I guess, pr the privileging of the work uh, over one's own health. It's, it's not something that is stated clearly. And, and what I love about being able to present to teachers uh, and school leaders about compassion fatigue in our study is that it allows for a conversation that helps uh, our veteran teachers and our experienced teachers to recognize that they matter, number one and that their health matters and that the work that they are doing in schools with children is is incredibly important and that maybe some of the other priorities that have been coming through various initiatives uh, could take a back seat in order to allow the, the public education system to thrive. Um, so it, it is a good conversation to be having, particularly in light of, uh, you know, a pandemic which is moving into an endemic phase. It allows us to have another look at what it is that we are doing in the field of education. So I think it's a very exciting opportunity. Yeah, that reminds me as the two of you were speaking about that, when you mentioned those conversations with pre-service and teachers, right? The new ones coming in and you're absolutely right. I remember my first year, my first class, I was so excited there in the evenings, there in the weekends, decorating my, you know, my board and my classroom door and putting things up for the children to see, to, to, to harness all that excitement they have. And that's great. In that mentorship, we definitely have to uh, to continue to foster that and encourage that excitement in that conversation. 
However, as we noticed today, there's there's a great need of a balance um, that they have to take care of themselves at the same time and have an easier transition, as you mentioned, you know, that transition would be easier for those those new teachers coming in. And also, I hope we're not forgetting that there's also some sort of uh, mention or reality check about how hard the profession is so that we can hang on to that retention and that sustainability. Because as we know, what is it, the first the three to five years is when they leave the teaching profession? Yeah. And so it's interesting because um, looking at our study data, we we were able to separate it by years of service. And what we actually found was that um, the risk factors for compassion, fatigue and burnout were pretty consistent between mm -hmm. beginning teachers all the way to 21 years plus. The only significant difference was really with our 21 year plus teachers who either had slightly greater compassion fatigue or slightly greater compassion satisfaction than everyone else in across the field. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, it's really those um, teachers and educators who've been there for a longer time who can do that really strong mentorship in, you know, how have they been able to sustain themselves for this long time, or they're kind of our, the ones who need the most help but might be resisting it the most because they can say, well, I've been doing this for so long. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And so that was kind of an interesting part of the data that was a bit unex unexpected, but really kind of one of the clear problems was that, you know, regardless of how long someone's been in the field, they're really at risk of, of these things. And so um, it is really important to do that preventative work and, I know people can't stand it <laughs> a lot of times when I start talking about self-care and, you know, you really have to take care of yourself. Um, but that's really the one thing that every single person can have some agency over in their own, um, their own profession and saying, you know what, I am taking this next 10 minutes to go for a walk or to be alone or to, you know, go sit in my warm car. We're all in cold Canada right now. So, you know, you got to turn it on. Maybe that's bad for the environment. Um, but, you know, go somewhere where they can be alone for a period of time where they can kind of process what's going on uh, or for people who'd prefer not to be alone, you know, maybe taking that time to go back to the staff room. Because I know when I first started teaching, I did used to go to the staff room and it used to be quite an exciting place. But over time, I just stopped going there. I, you know, um, I didn't have positive social interactions through the day. And so I was finding myself more and more isolated from my teaching peers, which also isn't great. And so mm -hmm. um, by thinking about, you know, well, what can I do today so that I can feel better? Um, that's kind of a great starting space. And then those of us who have leadership positions or are able to kind of make some differences in terms of workload, really using our voices to say, look, like, we need to take care of each other. And part of taking care of each other is figuring out ways to take stuff off people's plates. So the focus of our work can be being there for children and youth, as opposed to data reporting and putting in report cards. And well, supervision was never my favorite, but it could actually be a good time for some fresh air. Um, you know, all those other things that maybe we can start looking at uh, lightening that load. Certainly, uh, we are seeing um, a lot of people trying to take care of themselves, and that's certainly what the data said. Uh, we found that individual interventions were the highest 
uh, source of, of self-care. But we recognize, I think, um, through our study and also through other studies we've done as an association that there is a significant uh, level of moral distress in the field because the resources that are allocated for education just aren't matching the needs that we are seeing in schools. And so for the leaders and for the teachers uh, who are trying to navigate this uh, resource-starved space, they find themselves making decisions to do the best they can with what they have. And they know and they see a different vision. And that creates uh, a, lot of, a lot of stress. And we're not just seeing this in, uh, in education, we're seeing it in healthcare as well, um, where, where uh, the caring professions are being placed in, in many situations where they can't do what they know they need to do because they aren't provided with the resources they need to do it. And those are things that um, are aimed at a systematic level, they need to be addressed there. And that's a slower solution, but most certainly there is a lot of work to be done in terms of advocacy. Absolutely. And today we talked specifically a lot about like what's happening in Edmonton or Calgary, Alberta, the NWT a little bit. Do you guys notice any through your data, your surveys, any similar patterns or trends uh, across Canada or even globally? Absolutely. Um, the Canadian Teachers Federation adapted a uh, pandemic pulse survey that the association created, and they uh, they provided that to teacher organizations across the the country and they have produced some some very uh i guess startling res, uh reports about the state of mental health of it, the education workforce during uh the pandemic but we've also seen studies out of the united states and europe that attest to the same uh phenomena there's no question that um education systems around the world are under uh, significant stress at this time and do you have any specific insights as to what they're doing? Like sort of what research are they doing or what solutions have they sort of stirred up or, or found? Well, I'd say ironically, they're actually looking to us because we're just a little bit ahead of the of the curve in terms of looking into this. That's one thing that's wonderful about working with the ATA and the Alberta School Employee Benefits Plan is that they knew right through their discussions with practitioners that there was a problem and so they this is you know what we like to call a problem of practice so they actually said there's something happening here hey university can you figure something out and so um, in noticing earlier on um, we were able to kind of get to a point where we're like well here is a possible way to look at this problem right through heart care planning through looking at you know whether what's happening at the school level what's happening at your system level, how is well-being supported by your school district, by the local community, by the government, um, individuals, what are they able to do and what are they able to access in terms of taking care of themselves, their physical, emotional, mental, intellectual, environmental, spiritual well-being. And, um, you know, what are professionals, how can they be brought into this? So what are the experts saying? What are the experts, um, like therapists, how are they interacting with teachers? Are educational workers able to take the time they need to go see their doctor for their yearly physical? Um, is there, you know, other paraprofessionals that they can access in order to um, feel better? And then recognizing that education is unique, right? Educational workers 
provide um, care in the place of parents. And so in order to be the best that they can be, they also need to be, they need to be healthy and well. And so the more that layer of protection is provided for them, the better that they can do their jobs, the better the outcomes for the kids themselves. And there have been um, several researchers trying to make that connection a lot more clear that healthy adults um, are, have better relationships with kids and healthy kids are, are better learners. And so, you know, we all kind of impact each other. And so there's really that need for targeted supports to ensure that the adults are able to do what they can do in order to be there, be present, be compassionate for the children and youth in their care. Yeah, it's interesting when you said that uh, sort of layers of protection for teachers. And Lisa, that reminded me when you're up here doing your presentation to us, which, by the way, was fantastic. Thank you for doing that. It was so informative. Um, so thank, much information you, you offered. Yeah, seriously, we, which we is why I reached out. Pretty, pretty tough, uh, some pretty tough technical problems. So I'm, I'm hoping we get a chance to do that presentation again. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you weren't the only one, by the way. There was a few technology yeah. things, but that's OK. That's life today. But. Going back to the layers of protection for teachers, I noticed that there's a bit of a, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess a stigma that teachers aren't allowed to ask for help or they don't ask for help. So a lot of times you're like, well, why didn't you just tell us? We didn't know. So whether it's the principal or a counselor or uh, even your union, and they're like, we didn't know. And the teachers are, well, you know, we're not allowed to tell you. So is that still there, that sort of stigma? Is it changing? Is it evolving? Is it getting any better? Yeah, I would say, you know, I started kind of looking into this stuff in about 2015, and there was definitely a cone of silence around teacher emotional mental well-being. And that's one of those things that I say, you know, it's going to take time, right? I mean, there is a there's a cone of silence around all mental health distress mm -hmm. and emotional distress up until fairly recently, really. And so I just, you know, I feel like as long as we can continue the conversation, then more people will be able to step up and say, yeah, you know, I, I am feeling the early symptoms of burnout here. I do need to reach out and find out, you know, can I meet, start meeting with a therapist or, you know, can my family doctor provide any assistance to me or <laughs> on a very plain level, can I go to bed earlier every night? Um, you know, and so I think as we become more open to having these conversations and really understanding the impact that, teachers have on the children that they work with um, I've really noticed that you know that kind of does make light bulbs go on in terms of you know I can't as an educator continue just to push through what's bothering me if I'm not going to be able to do what really sustains me which is seeing children and youth learn and grow in the year or two that I have them and so as people start to realize that I really believe that they start to say okay I, I am actually going to look into how things can get better and then you know depending on what their role is principals might be starting to think you know I can try to make my my workplace more positive or you know at the school district office you know what can we do to support our our people and you know one of the school districts I worked I'm working with right now they've really prioritized um, employee well-being and that's a huge step, right? When, when you get direction from your um, local superintendent or assistant superintendent, say, hey, this is important. You know, we support you 
figure out, let's figure this out together. That's very powerful for making the changes and removing that stigma. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I I also am mindful of is that we need the prioritization of this is important and there's an end to this. We need to allow for a conversation that recognizes the unhealthy expectations that we have within the profession for ourselves and for other uh, teachers and school leaders that we work with. And as part of that recognition is permission not to do everything. And so that's a part of the reckoning that I think uh, all of us are trying to work our way through. It's a challenging space because this didn't just happen uh, because of the pandemic. This is decades of um, of expectations that have built up uh, around what public education is supposed to deliver and what those folks who are delivering that service are supposed to be doing. Um, and that, of course, has always lived alongside austerity since the 90s. So. Uh, we find ourselves, I think, in a critical space, and it's an exciting space. There's lots of opportunity here for um, the creation of a different vision for what it means to be a teacher and a school leader and an educator. But we also have some risk in that we we have to acknowledge that what has brought us here wasn't um, wasn't always the best, and so we have to be honest about that and and uh, simply acknowledge it and look at what can be taken off the plate. Yeah, I like that. Acknowledging, acknowledging that we're in a challenging space, permission to do less, and that breaking that sort of cone of silence. I like that. Um, if if somebody, our listeners here today, if anybody wants to reach out to either of you or both of you, are they able to reach out? And if so, how can they? So for me, the easiest way is you can actually Google me and stuff comes up. Um, <laughs> I, I'm still on Twitter for the time being. I don't know how much longer I'm now on Mastodon. So if people want to look me up on Mastodon, it's Kendrick underscore um, Austrade at msdn.ca, um, which is a newer Mastodon space. Um, or, you know, they can find out a lot of information through the Heart Care Educators website where a lot of what we've talked about today is present in um, podcasts. There's some videos, there's a lot of reading that can be done so that, um, and there's actually a workbook and template that people can use to start to um, address what might be going on in their schools. And I'm easy to find at the Alberta Teachers Association. Uh, All you have to go uh, to do to find me is go to www.teachers.ab.ca uh, and our contact information is there. Um, but if people want to reach out through email, I'm certainly available that way as well. And my uh, email address is lisa.everitt at ata.ab.ca. All right. Now, I don't want to leave this on a sort of a depressing, sad note, because that's not the case for our educational system and teachers at all, not even close. So we talked about some some things that we have to fix, some solutions we have to find. However, through this uh, storm, I know there's some great things happening in, in classrooms throughout Alberta and WT in Canada and worldwide. So can you guys sort of finish off today on a happy note between the three of us that like, what are some great things happening in those classrooms um, that you see, that you've heard of, that your data has shown? You know, I would say um, from my perspective as a researcher from the University of Calgary, and I also working with pre-service teachers, that mentorship piece that 
people are still very excited to work with partner or to be partner teachers and pre-service teachers are still very excited to be educators. So despite everything that's been going on, there's still a very strong, excited, passionate work workforce out there, both in service and pre-service that I think, you know, once we kind of work out how to make sure that we can all keep each other well together, um, that that excitement to work with children and youth and to make the world a better place is still as present and as top of mind as it has ever been. And so, um, you know, we are a committed and caring workforce. So we just need the opportunity to show that care. Yeah, there's a tremendous uh, strength within our profession. Um, just this last uh, Tuesday night at minus 25, we had about 75 people who gathered around round, round tables uh, to examine the question, how do we create a hopeful future for, um, for public education? And I was privileged to be able to witness those conversations uh, because we are, we are gathering those insights for a report that we'll put forward in, in February. And many of those conversations involve teachers, parents, and business leaders um, having passionate discussion around the potential for uh, excellent experiences in the public education system. And they also identified some of the things that are needed to make that happen. So I think we are in a space where we can be very optimistic about what is possible. And what we require, I think, is the um, the commitment on the part of everybody in education, uh, including including our, our governments to create that hopeful future. Agreed, 100%. So there you have it, folks. We have Astrid Kendrick. From, she's a, a researcher and professor at the University of Calgary, as well, as well as Lisa Everett from the Alberta Teachers Association. Thank you both, ladies. I appreciate 100%. And please, let's do this again once you have some more data collected. How's that sound? Thank you, Mike. I think that's Thanks. wonderful. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you did, be sure to subscribe and share with your family and friends. And remember, you may be given a cactus in life, but you don't have to sit on it.